Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Why? Just the format of the show. If you want to be part of the show via your email, do so. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Joining me from the North Studio is the one and only unrelated Damien Dunn. Hello, friend. Totally unrelated. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. All right, Dame. This week on the show, we're back to people's email questions. Although part of me wants to talk about financial stress this week. I was having a cocktail with a buddy the other day. He does pretty well. <laughs> and he was just talking about yeah, he's got some financial stress. And he said, uh, I feel guilty and bad that I have financial stress uh, given my uh, fortunate lot in life. And Dame, I was like, you know what? Financial stress and all stress is relative. You can only evaluate it based on what you were dealing with. And you really shouldn't compare your stress to other people's because it's what you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. It happens at any uh, any income level. Uh, sure, the problems may be different, but uh, it's there. So we will do that uh, maybe later on. Uh, but Dame, first off, a great email from uh, Omar. Uh, so, uh, dear Pete, I am in an interesting financial situation. I'm turning 30 this year, and my only debt is my student loans, which are $57,000 in total. I make double the minimum payment each month and have been using the uh, momentum method to pay them off as fast as possible. My mom got sick recently and decided to move in with my sister. So for now, I am renting her house. This is the cheapest rent I will ever have. I'm able to put away $867 a month. My living situation will only continue on until uh, late 2021 when my mom's health and life are back in order to give her back her house then my rent will at least double wherever I go after that. Should I use this time to pay a huge chunk of my debt or use this time to save for a serious down payment on a house? By my projections, I will still have the best case scenario, uh, $7,000 to worst case scenario, $14,000 left on my loans if I move all of my extra cash into my student loans and then go back to saving for a house. Omar, all right, Dame. Man, first off, Look at the big brain on Omar. Yeah, he's uh, he's thought through some stuff here. I appreciate people like this for lots of reasons. Number one, he's able to put away eight hundred and sixty-seven dollars a month. Like he's he's he didn't say about eight hundred or about nine hundred or about eight fifty. Like that's a number. Eight sixty-seven is a number. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all that it's probably just eight sixty-seven exactly. Because if there was uh, eight sixty-seven and twenty-three cents, it probably would have came up. I agree. Uh, where are you leaning here? Do you uh, do you lean towards pay down the student loans? And by the way, it's not pay off the student loans, which I think is an, uh, a really important element here. Or do you think he should try to stack it, as the kids say, so he can buy a house upon uh, leaving his mom's house in 2021? Um, I think this has probably come up in uh, shows gone by that I... I don't like having debt laying around. I think he could attack the debt and then hopefully get that paid off shortly after his situation changes and then have the flexibility to do whatever he wants. Maybe he stays in the area and uh, he can find a house, but maybe he, you know, life circumstances take him somewhere else. And then if he had to uh, uh, 
uh, you know, think about buying a house somewhere else or renting for a while somewhere else. He's got the flexibility to do that. So I'm, I'm in the camp of pay the student loans down and then start accumulating some cash for a down payment for a house after the situation gets ironed out on the other side. Yeah. You know what? I'm in lockstep with you because typically the goal here is stability and you can't just assume because someone has a house that their financial life is stable. I was having this conversation with another buddy last night. And yes, Dame, this is just a means for me to tell you that I have friends. You have two friends. I have two friends and I talked to them both in one night. That's, that's showing off. It is. And we were talking about this idea of um, home ownership doesn't mean you're stable. Like, but, but in our, our, our society, it's sort of set out that way. Well, you know, we got a house. Dude, you will bleed money if you have a house, if you're doing it wrong. Uh, Dame, you know, there's a little bit of a, a sickness going around our office here these days. We're, we're just passing it to each other where we're bleeding money due to life and car issues and house issues and health issues. And so uh, someone else got it this week. And, you know, it stinks. Homeownership does not bring stability at all at the beginning of homeownership. Homeownership brings stability once you've paid it off. That's where the stability comes from. Yeah, Um there's one little thing in here that I, I saw in his email that I'm curious uh, as to how you interpret it. He says he's able to put away $867 a month. Is that on top of double his student loan payments? Yes, it is. That's interesting. Here's what I, okay, but here, here's the other element to this that, that we blew right past, but I think we both were uh, assuming that the other would cover it, is that... Um, Eight, that 867 is going to be representative in some capacity what his future rent payment may be mm-hmm. in 2021. That as well as the rent he's paying his mom right now. So the absolute best way to make this whole ordeal seamless is to do exactly what he's trying to do, which is to make best use of that 867 so he's used to not having it in his life. So when he is forced to move on, He's good to go, and it's not a cash flow crunch for him. Yeah, I think he's, oh man, he's he's got a ton of opportunity here to just kind of set himself up for not only right now, but you know, prepare for that that time in a couple of years when things do change. I, I think Omar is, and he's in great shape. We talk about this on the show occasionally when we get an email like this. I trust everything Omar will ever do financially based on how he's laid out his choices. Um, but but I do think there's a very set answer here, and I think it involves not saving for a down payment on a house. I think, you know, he would be, he's 30 right now into 2021, let's call him 32. 32 is young, and I say that because I'm nowhere close. No, not at all. No, I he's he's making good choices right now, and I, I think uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna be fine. Just keep doing it. Let's also not gloss over the flexibility and the compassion that his entire family is showing for each other to rally around a family member. And we, we see this a lot in, in, in you as the, our sole listener. You hear this and see this a lot. But it makes it easier when people have financial stability and they make good decisions. This gets hard when someone's poor financial decisions make helping someone difficult. Dame, 
this is beautiful that he and his sister are rallying around their mom so she can get her health back together. Yeah, I, it's it, it's already a thing right now, but it's going to continue to become more uh, prominent and prevalent in society as as the our generation can uh, their our parents continue to get older. Man, uh, assisted living is not cheap. What are yeah. we going to do? So I, I, there's going to be some really tough decisions on our plates coming forward. And, and I say R is the you know, royal R, all of us. Um, there's a there's a big likelihood that some of us are going to have to step up and, and try and do whatever we can to take care of our parents. Yeah, so you know, that's so true. And in this case, there's, there's so many ways to help a, an aging parent or, or a sick parent financially. And sometimes just taking their expenses away, taking away those living expenses is the best way to do it as opposed to paying for a facility stay. And that's, again, if you have the time and the resources to be able to be the one to be their caregiver, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is a, this is an issue. All right. So good job, Omar. The answer is student loans. And then it shouldn't take but maybe another year to pay off the rest of the student loans. Get rid of your student loans. Of course, make sure you have a little bit of emergency fund. And uh, just know that you're a good son and you're a good sibling to your sister for doing this too. So thanks for your email. If you want to email us, you can do so. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. We have, Dane, we have more emails coming up after the break. I'm Pete the Planner. on the Pete the Planner show, uh, answering your money questions, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Dame, I don't want to jump the gun here, but in the coming weeks, we're adding more affiliates to the show. That means on Sundays, when people listen to our program, I think they're going to listen on Sundays. I am on a need-to-know basis with management. So You have to, you have to do a promo tour? Oh, I am. I offered because I just want to do it. I don't <laughs> care if one person shows up, but this is for my ego, not for the listeners. Uh, all right, dear Pete, how do I protect... How long my parents' nest egg will last? My parents are 83 and 84 years old. They've sold their business and will net about $375,000 after commission and capital gains. Uh, Dame, we're going to continue. I'm going to read the rest of the question, but I want to come back to that first line here uh, in just a moment. Okay. Which I don't know why I'm explaining how doing a radio segment works to you. You're, you're thorough. They have to move and want to buy a house for $230,000 and pay cash. Then every time someone says pay cash, I assume a briefcase is involved. Do you? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I will from now on. Uh, then, of course, they'll need new curtains and blinds. I like that that's the first place this goes. It's very, it's crucial to a new house, curtains and blinds. We want privacy, mm -hmm. appliances, and to pay for movers. That's really starting to dwindle down the cash they have to live on for the rest of their lives. So let's say they have $130,000 after all those expenses and paying cash for the house. They only receive $1,200 a month in Social Security. Can they make it the rest of their lives on that amount? Do, not, do I not worry about it knowing they can pull the equity out if needed? Are there any apps or online calculators to help figure this out? Well, there are no apps, uh, Sam, but there is a dame. Dame, I don't, here's the thing. I'm not going to like how this goes. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm thinking about having microphone trouble, so you just have to handle this. 
I, I, I'm feeling at the very end of this segment, no one's going to feel good except the truth. Probably not. Um, okay, let's go back to the line I wanted to start with. At 83 and 84 years old, they've recently sold a business and will net $375,000 after commission and capital gains. Let's just go ahead and guess that they were, you know, they sold it for just over a half million dollars or something like that. Somewhere in there. Um, I have to say, I, I always, there's a soft place in my soul for people who sell a family business and and then they get this pool of money which is representative of their life's work and how emotional that can be absolutely i you know we don't know when they uh they acquired the business but i'm much like you i i think it's probably something that they've had for a long long time and this is uh you know the closing of a chapter for sure and uh, it can be a bittersweet moment I think it also leads people to rush decisions to make certain elements of decisions tidy too quickly, which brings us to the unfun part of this question. If their only asset, their nest egg, is this $375,000 and they only have $1,200 a month of income, Damn, I don't, at 83 and 84 years old, I don't think buying a cat house cat with cash outright makes any sense whatsoever. I don't either. Um, they've, <laughs> they're going to need some income. And unless they are incredibly frugal, $1,200 isn't going to come anywhere close to it. And depending on the part of the country, $1,200 is going to go a lot further than, than other parts. But, but still, $1,200 in Social Security. Um, that's not going to give you any any margin uh, to to do anything with. You're going to need more than that. And taking away you know, over half, well over half of the proceeds from your life's work and, and putting it into some some shelter that you could easily um, rent somewhere else and, and have that nest egg left over for for other things. Um, gosh, I just, I just don't know if that makes the most sense in this situation. Here's some additional complexity. That $130,000 that's left over after they buy curtains and whatnot, uh, that's only going to generate, I don't know, dude, $500, maybe $600 a month mm -hmm. in perpetuity. And, dude, uh, and all dudes and dudettes listening, uh, what if something goes wrong? What if they had to make a major withdrawal on that buck thirty? And then that five to six hundred dollars a month that you become immediately dependent on is no longer there. There are all sorts of ways that this can go wrong, really quick. And we just talked about you know, houses bleeding you dry after you buy them. Um, man, that would be a horrible situation for for this. I mean, I we <laughs> we don't know uh, if the parents live close to the person that sent us the email in this case we, we don't know what kind of uh, assistance or support she might be able or she or he she might be able to provide in this case but um this is a tenuous situation if if everything goes right i would 100 percent not buy the house no. i mean you know what i'll tell you this this episode of the a very special uh pete the planner show we are giving really solid answers. Like we're not hedging, we're not sitting on the fence. 
We're telling you things you don't want to hear. And that's the show. No, we still have more show to go. Um, don't, okay, so Dame, rebuild this from scratch. You've just helped an 83 and 84-year-old sell a business. They're obviously going to live very frugally. They have $1,200 a month of income. Where do you have them live? And then what sort of income are you spending off to them on a monthly basis off that three seventy five? Um, I Wait, would... can I ask a question? Where do they live now? Good point. You know what? Like, That's an excellent point. They, ha- they have to move. <laughs> they have to move. Were they and... sleeping in the storeroom? I don't know. Maybe it's a massage parlor. No, mm, let's not do that. No. Um, I don't know. They have to move. That's all we need to concern ourselves with. Okay, so what do you? You're building this from scratch. Go uh, a, a a single floor apartment, first floor, uh, easy in, easy out, uh, accessible for um, anything that may come in the next 10, 15 years for them. Can I play devil's advocate? And that's devil with a B. Did my son say that? Because that's probably how he would pronounce it. <laughs> a TD would say it. Yeah. Um, TD is gonna like that. Shout out on the show. Yeah, I'll let it, I'll make Shout sure out he TD. listens. Good baseball season, TD. Um, all right, so here's Devil's Advocate. <laughs> what if they're doing this so they can retain the money, the asset for the writer of this email and their siblings? Because in purchasing a home, as opposed to renting, you're taking an asset and retaining it as opposed to taking cash flow and paying it out to someone else via rent. Yeah, I am. Um... I guess that's a possibility. My question would be, A, can you live on what's left over for you know, the, the rest of your life? And if you can't, where's the other income going to come from? Are, are you going to have your kids help you out? Are you going to do a reverse mortgage? What, what's going on here? How are you going to, how, what's mechanics look like in that situation? Doesn't, this, it, doesn't it feel like this is setting up like a premeditated reverse mortgage? Kind of. I mean, that was the first thing that, that jumped to my mind and in this case. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if always, you know, buying a property, knowing that that's going to be the outcome. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting if that's the goal of buying an asset that they can then, you know, pass down to, to their kids. This this is a possibility to do it that way. Yeah. You know, you bring up a really good point is what is the objective? What is the primary objective? And if the objective is just to uh, continue to have money through the rest of their life. Buying a house is a terrible idea. Dane, we're going to call this the homeownership doesn't always solve a problem episode of the show. Cause in the first two segments, uh, buying a home causes more problems than it solves. So, you know, here's where we stand on this. Don't buy a house. Don't do it. You'll run out of money, rent somewhere, uh, and use the money that way. Cause you're less likely to run out of money. After the break, coming back with more of your questions and our hot takes, I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Damian Dunn in studio, his studio up north. Uh, Dame and I look at each other on FaceTime while we do this podcast, and he's got like this cool tin roof in his studio, and I, the angle of which my phone is right now, I look like Jabba the Hutt. A little. 
Okay. Uh, Dear Pete, or hi, Pete, love the podcast. Miss you in the Sunday edition of my local paper. They no longer carry the USA Today weekend finance section. Yeah, it sounds like his local paper stinks, Dame. Oh, man, that's critical. It's true. Um, I think my question is a simple math problem, but I am stuck. How do I determine what my company's 401k contribution is in percentage form? I know I should be targeting 12 to 15% contribution rate, including what my company provides. You know, first, before we go much further, uh, Tony Z, the writer of this email, is exactly right. You should target between 12 to 15%, both uh, what you put in and what your employer puts in. Dame, let's give an example of this. Dame, let's say a person makes uh, 100,000 American dollars and their employer matches 50% up to 6%. Yeah, oh my gosh. Okay. I'm doing I was the told there'd be no math. Darn it. Uh, I never said that. Okay. So, Dame, $100,000. Mm-hmm. Employer matches 50% up to 6%. So assuming a person maximizes their match, what is the most dollars and percentage their employer will contribute? Uh, 3%, $3,000 in this case. That is correct because it is 50% up to 6%. So if you put in 6%, then they will put in 3% because they're putting 50% up to 6%. So Dame, that means if you just hit the match, you're putting in 6, they're putting in 3 for a total of 9, which is not... 12 to 15. Nope. As dumb as this sounds, Dame, what would someone need to put in in order to hit 12 if their employer match is 50% up to the first six? Okay, let's see. Uh, 12, uh, carry them one. 9%, Pete. A person would need to put in 9% and get that 3% match to take them to 12. That is a suitable thing for a person to do when they don't look like Damien and me, which is to say they're younger. Yes. You look younger than I do. Do you think you look younger I, than I do? I know. And people that we've met with have said the same. Someone thought you were my son. I know. That was my favorite thing I've I've heard this year. You're older than me. Yeah. Uh, I just, I mean, less than a month. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so if you are younger, 12% is certainly suitable, uh, and it will get you to a retirement destination that is lovely and has umbrella drinks. If you are Dame and I's age or older, or in your 30s for that matter, which is younger, then you probably need to be closer to 15%. I, I would say 15, yeah, 15% at a minimum. It, that all depends on how good of a job you've done preparing for retirement up to that point. If you uh, are really finally just getting serious about it and you're in your 40s, 15% it's on the low side I, I would think it's it's going to be a nice goal to get to you're obviously not going to go from 0 to 15% in your contributions probably not work your way to 15% but then don't stop there keep going can't stop Do you know how I I know that I'm a nerdy old man is that when people tell me a 401k match from their employer and it's like amazing I get unnaturally excited about it I you get excited I get jealous yeah, that, oh, that's sad because I'm your employer. <laughs> Let's go back to the email. How do I determine what my company's 401k contribution is in percentage form? I know I, I get jealous too. Uh, I know I should be targeting 12 to 15% contribution rate, including what my company provides. My con- company contributes 80 cents on the dollar up to the first 5% of my pay. 
how do I turn that into a percentage I can use? It's 4%. It is 4%. So uh, let me dust off my math here. All you have to do is multiply the what on a dollar, 0.8, times uh, 5%, and 80% of 5% is 4%. So if he puts in 5% and maximizes the match of 4%, Dame, what's his total contribution to his plan? Coincidentally, again, 9%. Well, isn't that weird? Like, it it, that weird. was not purposeful. No. But it feels like God was involved. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> or Jesus. Okay, well. Or Damien. In math. Let's just go with math. Math. Uh, so, okay, so uh, Tony Z, you need to put in, because you're going to get four from your company, okay? So you need to put in eight personally to get to 12. You have to put in eight. They're going to give you four. That gets you to 12. Now, Tony Z, I don't know how old you are. If you're in your 20s or 30s, younger 30s, you may be able to scrape by at that 12% total contribution. However, your grammar looks pretty good here. And you read a newspaper. <laughs> I'm not thinking I'm not thinking you're in your 20s, pal. So uh, is that offensive? Oh, we'll probably lose two, two listeners in their 20s. Did I tell you I rode a, an e-scooter in Nashville a couple of weeks ago? Did I talk about this on the air? Uh, I don't know if you talked about it on the air. I was just thrilled that you didn't wipe out and, and land, land in the hospital. So I am a scooter hater. You know this. These electronic scooters that are just the trend where people just come and just, you know, dispose of them in the middle of a sidewalk on top of a person who is, you know, looking for some help. There's just a scooter on top of them. And so I was in Nashville, it was like 95 degrees. I walked down this hill to get lunch. And by the way, to walk down a hill to get lunch in Nashville, Tennessee, is to eat hot chicken. Mm, of course. So I consumed hot chicken. And so now I'm hot. And it's mm -hmm. 95. And I've got that internal sweat going. And I see this scooter as I exit Party Fowl, which is the, <laughs> the name good, of the hot chicken restaurant. And I was like, you know, I... I talk bad about these scooters all the time, but you know what? I'm going to get on one and just give it a try. Don't bash it till you try it. Dude, how do people not die on these every single day? It was incredibly dangerous. At, at what point did you realize that it might not have been a great decision? Then, <laughs> true story. The next morning... In Nashville, someone got hit by a car on a scooter and died the next morning. So I knew going back, here's the thing. It's about the torque, right? So it's, it's, it's the torque on these things mm -hmm. is nuts for an e-scooter. And so you're, you're not used to it. Balance is not an issue. You know, I'm an athlete. <laughs> Stopping's a little intense. Then you think you can't be on the sidewalk. You don't have a helmet. You're not really familiar with the traffic patterns because you're in a city that's not your city. And and then it all adds up to just a really bad idea. A 41-year-old man in a scooter in a city that is foreign to him on a 97-degree day filled with hot chicken. That's a recipe for disaster. Do they have scooter lanes? No, but people use the bike lanes if there are bike lanes. Okay. But they still don't have helmets. If you hit a curb, those wheels are so small and they're not forgiving at all. They're like rollerblade wheels. You're 
you're falling off the scooter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you're probably right. It's amazing that more people haven't been injured on these things or killed. So Tony, you need to put at least good transition. <laughs> you need to put at least eight percent into your four hundred one k personally. But you know, I'll be honest. Just crank it to ten. Who, who are we messing with here? At the very minimum, you should be at ten. That your employer is going to put in four. Uh, Dame, if we have. Oh, not enough time to talk about this. But the reason why these percentages, you know, we an employer matches 80% up to the first 5%. The reason they do that, it's called a stretch match. What they want you to do is they want to convince you and persuade and incent you to put more in the plan. And so they do that creative match strategy. We actually encourage that and we think it's great, although it can be confusing for the average bear. Indeed. You see that girl get hit by the buffalo in Yellowstone Park this week? I the saw the clip. I didn't watch the clip, but I saw it was somewhere on there. I, I need to probably go back and watch it. You need to see it. The parents, why are you that close? All right, we got to go. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and current events. Lots of them this week on Beat the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, the bomb right here on the Pete the Planner Show is Dame I have two. Do you want the really dumb one or the really dumb one? Let's go with a really dumb one. All right. Let me pull up that tab. Sorry. There's no guarantee they'll make your food taste any better, but Meonce's set of 14 karat gold grilling tools will ensure you're the fanciest chef on the block. The set includes a spatula, fork, knife, and tongs all rendered in solid 14 karat polished gold each tool measures 18 inches long and is undoubtedly the most expensive version you could find even if they're unlikely to be any better than the ten dollar steel version for sale at the local big box store dame what would you guess 24 or 14 karat gold grilling set what do you think it'll cost is it Plate, it's got to be just plated gold, right? I mean, it's not you're, like you're a, definitely overthinking this. Sorry, okay. Uh, let's go with um, thousand bucks. Boy, you've really mis misplayed this. You did not think about this enough. $65,000. What is wrong yep. with people? Yep, that's really dumb. Uh, here's the next one. Few things are in life are more awesome than being a spoiled kid with exorbitantly rich parents. <laughs> While the rest of us had to make do with playhouses, no more classier than the doghouse you build in workshop class in high school, they get to enjoy veritable mansions of tomfoolery like the Pirate Ship Playhouse. The Pirate Ship Playhouse measures 26 feet by 11 feet by 23 feet, making for one huge structure to conduct after-school shenanigans. It's clad in cedar and redwood exterior. The marooned ship comes with all the requisite pirate details, including a bowsprit with a cutlass bearing skeleton, crossbone, window panes, and cannonball holes. It's $27,000. Dame, you should, you sent it to me. It, it's nuts. That's, it's ridiculous. I, I, I mean, first of all, that's a huge thing. What is it, 27 by 20 something else and 11 feet tall. I mean, that's huge. 
for 27,000 bucks, I mean, that's a steal. I mean, you could buy three gold grilling sets for that. That's true. And feed your family for years. Oh, all right. Dame, this week in financial current events, here's a big surprise. Your college major may affect your ability to get a loan. What? Consumer advocates say that's a problem. Okay, before we dig into the article, here, on the surface, I have to say, shouldn't it? Yes. Yes, it should. Are we gonna, is this going to get uncomfortable? Not for us. I'm not going to get uncomfortable, I, but no, someone's going to get uncomfortable. Probably. I mean, we've, we've kind of tiptoed around that today already anyway. Why should we stop now? Dame, if someone majors or studies something that doesn't provide them the capacity to make a living and repay the loans that it took to get the education, why wouldn't a lender consider that? I don't know. I, well, <laughs> a, because it's guaranteed for the most part, uh, unless it's a private loan. So yeah, I mean, if, if, if I'm a private lender, I'm considering all this stuff. I would. I, I don't, I, it doesn't make any sense to me why you wouldn't. You can't just throw this under the blanket of it's education and it's worthwhile because you're taking, God, a I feel like I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight because I, this is not, you're taking a huge risk. I, I, it doesn't I, my my wife and I see this issue differently by the way I just don't, I don't see how if you're lending somebody money from a bank's perspective how you're willing to take risk in this case but just uh, and not others I mean, it's it's silly I, I don't get it you're you're doing the students harm by lending them money for things that they're not going to be able to repay so this is all brought upon by some financial technology companies that said this information of what certain majors do uh, and the money they earn off of that, they feel like this information will affect access to credit and borrowing for students. Oh, man, I'm not mad about this. No, not at all. I mean, if, if you if you got something that you're really interested in, make it a minor. Get, get something that you can make some money with and then figure out you know what else you want to do to, to more well-round your education. I mean, I, I know a, a, a friend of mine that I graduated high school with, I think got a degree in finance, but then uh, it took a lot of courses on the history of music and rock and roll because that, that's just, that's him. I, if there's anybody that embodies the, the enjoyment of music other than Frank, uh, it, it's, it's this guy. The uh, you know states have a sales tax holiday, tax free holiday uh, happens every year. Do you know about this? I, I don't. This is where I seem out of touch. I know of these, but I, I've never considered it affecting my spending habits. It's probably because our state doesn't have one. Sales tax holidays don't kick off with the same fanfare as Amazon Prime Day, but saving five or six percent on your back to school shopping tab is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> That's great copy. <laughs> uh, across the country, more than a dozen states, I'm sorry, whoever wrote that, dozen states and Puerto Rico will hold these tax-free days in the next few weeks, a number that has fallen slightly since reaching a peak in 2010 when 19 states participated. So right now there are, uh, what did I just say? Uh, more than a dozen states. It's interesting to know, Tennessee, Mississippi, Virginia, Ohio, Florida, Missouri, and Missouri, New Mexico, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Iowa, 
Arkansas or Arkansas, Texas, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Connect, I cut. Those are the states that have a tax holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Sort I of think a big so. deal, I, right? I was I was unaware of these, frankly, up until a couple of years ago. And then uh the more I started to look into them, I I, I think it's a an interesting little um you know way to try and inject some some uh, commerce into into your state, but also to give parents a, a little bit of a break as they're preparing to send the kids back to school. So I, I kind of like them, to be honest. Tesla shares fell 11% after hours this past Wednesday after the Silicon Valley car maker reported second quarter results well below Wall Street expectations. The stock was down 12% pre-market on Thursday morning, uh, instead, it lost $408 million, or $2.31 a share in the quarter, compared with a loss of $718 million, or $4.22 a share in the year-ago uh, quarter. Sales rose to $6.3 billion, compared with $4 billion a year ago. Uh, we have a friend, uh, a co-worker, who loves to follow this particular stock, and, and she was laughing at herself with with this particular one then we don't talk individual stocks a lot on this show but it always amazes me and I, I feel like i sometimes understand business you know once a week for about five minutes isn't it amazing how a company can lose 408 million dollars and that's an improvement off of losing 718 million dollars in a quarter yeah i it just doesn't We've been in this uh, this industry a long time, and I still scratch my head trying to collectively yeah, almost I still 40 scratch years. my head trying to figure out why certain things make sense and why things work the way they work. And usually, I just come back to the point that I'm not going to figure it out, and I just need to do what I tell everybody else to do and stick with it for the long haul, and and not pick individual stuff. And I think a lot of times when people, especially who don't study money, and this is not critical of our coworker, she knows what she's doing. I think a lot of people, when they when they find consumer brands that interest them and they invest in them, they think because it's a popular brand that it's going to do well. Again, this is not our coworker. This is different. And by the way, I, I'm the same boat. I have consumer brand individual stocks that caught my attention because it's a consumer offering. And I'm like, Oh, well, I buy stuff from there. Yeah, Everybody sure. must, you know, that fallacy. But I think that's where a lot of amateur investors go wrong is that they they just have, you know, a poor idea of yeah, how that it's, works. It's really, really common. All right, Dan, that's all we have time for this week. If people want to email us to be on the show, they can't be on the show, but the question can. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show.